Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Center and Clear Podcast. Welcome to the Christ Center and Clear Podcast. I'm your host, Nate Aiken. Have with me, as always, my brother, John. And then we also have this week, for the first time ever, Aaron White. Aaron is a pastor uh, at Redeemer Bible uh, Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. We've had uh, his lead pastor on before, uh, actually last week. And uh, Aaron's coming on to talk about imprecatory psalms. Um, I think there's a funny story we have about an imprecatory psalm that you preached a couple of weeks ago. You might have to tell that story in just a second. Um But we're going to talk about that in our Tough Tech series. And so, Aaron, thanks for being on the podcast. It is my pleasure. Well, let's start. Let's just start right there. What is an imprecatory psalm? Uh, Well, I don't have a textbook definition, but how I would define it for someone who just asked me on the fly on a Sunday, I would say it is a (laughs) psalm in which we, or the psalmist, is praying imprecations or curses or judgments from God on their enemies or on the enemies of God. How many, uh, John or Aaron, how many? imprecatory psalms give or take you think in the in the psalter about a dozen yeah i think that's about right about a dozen did you preach psalm seven a couple weeks ago aaron is that right yeah good imprecatory psalm here at redeemer uh we're working through the psalms just consecutively over the course of the summers and so i think literally we're slated to be done in 2035 (laughs) but so we just started in psalm one working our way through and so i uh i had the joy of preaching psalm seven uh, Sunday before last. So we're talking about tough, this, the series is tough passages in the Old Testament. Why would we put uh, imprecatory Psalms in uh, a series like this? Because it, I mean, this, if you take it at face value, it seems harsh, unloving, unkind. I mean, Psalm 137, 9, blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against a rock. So this idea of praying to God that somebody would take their enemy's child and bash its head against a rock. Um, I mean, that's pretty brutal, you know, barbaric even. Um, and so, I mean, we just have to be real honest with this. It seems bloodthirsty. Hmm. It does. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a point in apologetics too. I remember reading, uh, it's got a moral monster by Paul Copan and he's dealing with this whole theodicy idea of, you know, defending the faith against those that would say God is like Richard Dawkins, you know, he's a bloodthirsty, megalomaniacal, yada, 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 that a lot of those, um, a lot of those critiques are drawn from passages like the Mm -hmm. one that John just read. They say, see, you know, Yahweh, your, your God is a bloodthirsty, mean spirited evil. Um, so Paul Copan has done a, a big favor to the church writing as God a moral monster. And a lot of what he's defending is dealing with how do we rightly understand imprecatory Psalms, specifically ones like that, where it looks like this good and loving God is endorsing uh, rank violence. And so it is a, it is a tough text. And so I'd say too, just to add like pastors who are calling for us to unhitch from the old Testament um, are saying, are looking at, how are your young people when they go off to university going to be able to withstand critiques of the Old Testament, like Dawkins, who says the God of the Bible is the most sadistic character in all of fiction? Mm-hmm. And when they read that in accordance with Psalm one thirty seven nine, like, hey, how can they answer that? Now, my my response is, well, then let's equip them to answer that, not unhitch and yep. ignore. But 
that it is it is a difficult uh, apologetic question. So, Aaron, when you preached this a couple of weeks back, did you have a point in your sermon where you addressed some of the apologetic questions at play? And if so, how did how did that look? Yes, yeah, so I just preached Psalm seven. Um, well, it's one of those things where you don't want to be too apologetic, and I don't mean apologetic in the technical sense, but you don't want to make the text die the death of a thousand qualifications. You know, um, we maybe not going as far as what like John was pointing at, but we don't want to become functional Martianites where we, you know, we might dabble in the Old Testament, but we qualify it so much that our, our preaching loses its punch and its power. So I did give a just a brief caveat about the nature of imprecatory Psalms, but, you know, it's it's just as authoritative and just as Christ-centered, and, and we don't have to be bashful mm -hmm. about it. So I yeah. mentioned a couple of different things. Um, specifically in Psalm 7, and this is why we love the Psalter, because it gives the full range of human emotion. In Psalm 6, the week before, uh, Pastor Riberg had preached Psalm 6, where David is uh, asking for forgiveness for something he definitely did do. The next week I get up to preach Psalm 7, and David is asking for deliverance because he's being accused of something that he definitely didn't do. <laughs> so I just, I, I love the contrast. And so in Psalm 7, he's saying, these men, or this person named Cush, is, is an affiliate of Saul, and he's telling everybody that I was a horrible friend and that I usurped Saul's authority. And David is essentially saying, I promise, uh, giving a blood oath, that I didn't do that. And so he then is saying, Lord, if I did, may judgment fall on me. But he's asking to be vindicated. Mm. Mm. Hey, John, so you mentioned just preparing young people to be able to handle these texts. How would you do that, particularly as it, as it applies to imprecatory psalms? Well, so one of the things I was taught to do in preaching is that you, you try to make the tough passages familiar and the difficult passages unfamiliar. And so that's why I will, in, in the setup, and I agree with uh, the idea that we don't need to let the sermon die the death of a thousand cuts, but I will set up the tension. Like, I'll try to make people uncomfortable and then show them, hey, here's why this is the best news in the world. And so what I, what I would typically do there when I, when I teach through imprecatory psalms is, one, to point it to Christ, and then two, to point it to what the application for them. Okay, so the, the 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 way it points to Christ is is John three sixteen. God loves the world, and so He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. So, like in Psalm one thirty seven, when he's 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 talking about like what these these foreign nations, the beasts that are trying to destroy the vine of Israel, and therefore if they destroy the vine of Israel, what happens? There's no Messiah. And so he's they're praying, Lord, you know, repay our enemies and and protect us. Um, and so and and so that's why I just pointed to Christ. Like this, these are some of the ways that God preserved the line of Israel so that Jesus came and so that He could bring salvation to the world. So that'd be like one of the first ways I'd do it. Mm -hmm. Aaron, let's talk then. How do how do you in particular maybe talk specifically about Psalm seven, but just imprecatory psalms in general? How how are you pointing them to Christ? Yeah, so like what John was saying is just setting up the, not the contradiction, and that's a dangerous word, but the tension between something like, when you start talking about imprecatory psalms and when you're preaching through imprecatory psalms, you know, 
a lot of believers, their minds immediately snap to the Sermon on the Mount, right? And they're going to think of, let me see, Matthew 5, they're going to think, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so they may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. And rightly so. And they think, well, the Lord Jesus very clearly calls us to love our enemies. And so, um, I, and, I, and that's where we have to pastor them through that. Because what I don't want their brains to say is, well, well, Jesus trumps this psalm. He says to pray for your enemies. Clearly, the psalm has nothing to say to us. Well, no, <laughs> we're not going to be unhitched from the Old Testament, like you said. Uh, but that is a proper thing for a believer to think about first, to say, well, wait a minute. You know, the Lord said to pray for our enemies. How does that square with this? Um, so I think it's very appropriate to point that out. Uh, I know I took our people toward the end of my sermon in Psalm 7. I took them to Romans 13 and said, you know, the Apostle Paul is very clear that we are not to be retaliatory, vigilante type people. But we are indeed to love our enemies. We are to feed them. We're to give them something to drink. We're to bless them. But leave it to the wrath of God. Uh, there is a place to say, Lord, I I have no place for getting a pound of flesh to be a vindictive person if I truly know that I've been forgiven. But there is a wrong here. There is an mm. evil here. Um, like in the case of Psalm 7, David saying, I did not do this. Um, and I applied that to taking Christians back to the days of Justin Martyr, where the Christians were falsely accused of being atheists and cannibals and immoral. I said, we likely will face those kind of accusations in an increasingly pagan culture. So how do you pray? Lord, I'm being called a bigot, for example, and that is not true. But I also am very well aware of my own sin, so I don't want to just make this about a pound of flesh. So I leave it to the wrath of God, and I say, Lord, either save them, take their sin that they committed against me and put it on Jesus, but at the same time, Lord, vindicate me, because that's not true of me. Mm. Good. John, when you're preaching through an imprecatory psalm or just thinking through some of these ones we've been talking about, how are you trying to to drive it to Christ? So one, I just want to piggyback. Um, the Sermon on the Mount commands us to pray imprecatory, imprecatory psalms. I mean, again, when you, when you talk about taking difficult passages and making them familiar and familiar passages and making them difficult, to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to pray an imprecatory psalm. Okay. And so I'm just, so, so one, I'm, when I'm doing this, I'm saying you're, you're already doing this and Jesus commanded you to do this. So it's not to, to pray. This is not at odds with his, with the rest of his teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And so, so just need to be aware of that, uh, for, for God's kingdom to come on earth means salvation and judgment. Um, and, and so it's going to mean that he, he, and he is going to vengeance his mind. I will repay says the Lord, those who have, who have, mistreated his people, he he's going to set that right. And he tells us we don't have to do it. No, we can ask him to do it in faith. Um, and we are called to do that. And so I, so, so one of the ways that this will merge Christ and application, one of the ways that I'll preach and teach this is just, it is one, Jesus's refusal to pour out violence on the people who are mistreating him and him leave, you know, first Peter two, he entrusted that to him who judges justly. And that we're called to do that as well. And so we are able to forgive because, because you know, wrath done against us uh, because Jesus was able to, re to forgive wrath done against him. And, and we're able to forgive because we've been forgiven in Christ. And so I, I point to Romans 12 and 13 as well and to say, um, vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. We are called to 
trust in that, um, I, to pray for that, and and to say, hey, we're we're not going to be the ones who who meet this out, but that's that's been given to God, and so we're we're going to trust Him. Um, and 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 then the other thing I would say too is, I, I remember this this quote from. Um, I, I can't remember if he's Romanian or Ukrainian, but Miroslav Volf talks about uh, violence, the violence of God, and w- will that turn his followers into violent people? And what he says, he, he says, it, it's an amazing quote, but he says, basically, this idea, people have this fear that if we, if we believe in a God of violence, then it's inherently going to make us violent people. Um, but he says the opposite is true. He, he's like, the, 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 the idea that um, only those people who believe in a nonviolent God will be forgiving and kind or whatever. He's like that, that, that's a, that's a lie that was cooked up in the, in the comfort of the suburbs. Because mm-hmm. if you live in a land like he's lived in, he's like, if you live in a land soaked by blood where your fathers have been killed, where your wives and your, your sisters have been raped, uh, where your little ones have been killed, that, that idea dies. Like it, it he's like the only way, this is what he says, the only way that we will refuse to be violent is if we have deep-seated confidence in a God who pours out justice. And that, mm-hmm. that makes us not be violent because we, we trust God's going to take care of this. In the same way that he's, we deserve the wrath of God and he, and he absorbed it in Christ on the cross, um, others do. And so you can, you can be found in Christ or outside of Christ. And so I'm going I'm to point to Christ, I'm going to point to the cross, and then say, hey, we, now we entrust this to God. Let's talk application then, and, and, and John sort of got at this, but Aaron, I'll come to you first, and then I'll come back to John. So if, if a Christian comes up to you, you know, on a Sunday after a service and says, can I pray imprecatory psalms against the person who cut me off in traffic, for instance, how are you answering that question? How are you thinking through application? Um, work us through that. They cut them off in traffic. I say absolutely. You can. Well, that was that was that was a yeah yeah one hundred percent exactly. <laughs> yeah, um, I, no, yeah. I, I, that's actually a great question because as John was talking, something popped in my brain, and it's something to keep in mind, especially as we're just pastoring people through these texts and pointing them to Christ, is that when we see in the Psalter specifically these types of imprecatory psalms, um, it is not Lord, it's not primarily Lord vindicate me because I'm such a great guy. It's, these are the enemies of Yahweh, Lord, you know, vindicate your name primarily. Um, right. And so there, there's definitely a, a, a God-centeredness, a jealousy for his glory and for his honor, where the analogy being cut off in traffic, obviously, is primarily about my hubris and my attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say, on the flip side of that, almost, in a way, in terms of application and just how do you pastor people through the imprecatory songs? Uh, what place do they have in the counseling room? You know what I mean? Actually, when I've counseled with believers who have been deeply hurt by other people, um, human evil, whether they've been sexually assaulted or there's, mm-hmm. well, I mean, I've even had one where there's been homicide in the family and different things. Um, what I don't do is say, you should pray the imprecatory Psalms until God strikes that person down. You know, no, but there is this balance between it is cold comfort to say, hey, the Lord will sort it out. You, you don't need to do anything. Just sit there and suffer. But to say, well, let's pray primarily that the person who perpetrated this evil, they, they molested your child, they killed a family member, a drunk driver that, that hits one of your uh, children and kills them. I mean, there's something real traumatic, but that unfortunately happens all the time. Let's pray primarily that the sin committed against you 
and the sin primarily committed against the Lord would be paid for on the cross of Christ. So let's pray for this person. Let's pray for our enemy. Um, and if they don't repent, I, I've told a number of grieving Christians that one of the comforts that come to you is the knowledge that God will make this right, that this sin will not be swept under some cosmic rug. Uh, and I think that's important too. And that's why I'm glad the imprecatory Psalms are not soft because when you're grieving yeah. and you've been hurt, you, you don't need soft comfort. You need real comfort. Good. John, uh, application. Yeah. I think that the idea that the offense here is against God and God's people, not against you necessarily individually, um, is helpful. So I, I would say I would encourage people to pray imprecatory psalms, not in terms of individual wrongs that have been done to them, but in terms of Ephesians 6, that we wrestle against principalities and powers, not against flesh and blood. So I, I think it's appropriate to pray imprecatory psalms on Satan and satanic working in the world um, and, to, and to pray that God—and then, and then to, to pray, again, people who are— opposing the people of God. So I, I don't know if I would, I wouldn't say, you know, I probably wouldn't counsel them to pray dash little ones against the rock, but like in places where the government is outright persecuting, imprisoning and killing Christians to pray, Lord, um, you know, work in such a way that your work is not hindered here and do whatever needs to be done within the government. Now that could be repentance. That could be but it also could be, I mean, I, I was told a story years ago when we went on a mission trip to a country in the Middle East where there's a church that was meeting in an apartment complex and it and it, out, it outgrew the apartment room that they were in. And so they they got the apartment right next to it and they were going to knock out the wall and like the zoning commissioner or whatever um, was a was a Muslim and and wouldn't allow them to do it and, and just would, it was putting all these kind of fines on them and all this stuff for meeting ordinance kind of stuff. And so they just prayed, Lord, work in this situation, work in this situation. And again, um, not saying this happens in every case or the, 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 the commissioner like died suddenly. And then the next commissioner um, was like, granted them all the permits they wanted and, and they let them knock out the wall. And so it's just like, this wasn't about, again, individual comfort. It was about God, you know, you're, you're, we're concerned for your kingdom and its growth. But um yeah, I would say we we pray the imprecatory psalms like we pray the Lord's Prayer, and we pray, Lord, we want your kingdom to come on earth. And what that's going to mean is that's going to mean that's going to mean some, you know, some judgment that's going to take place in certain places. That's going to mean some difficult things that take place uh, in other circumstances. But yeah, and and it, when it comes to individual um, wrong and and like deep wrongs, like not just somebody cut you off in traffic, but deep wrongs, it's I, I counsel. Um, in in the forgiving, like even Romans tells us, and, and this is he's quoting Proverbs. Even in the forgiving, there is imprecatory. There's an there's an imprecatory nature of that, and that it's it's heaping hot coals on their head. Hmm. Um, and so that's why I just say, um, yeah, you you leave this to God. You you trust, like God. I want please have them repent. Please have them seek mercy and forgiveness. But if they don't, then then we know you don't have to add to that. God's God's going to do it. Hmm. Any final comments, guys? It's good stuff. Um, thanks for helping us think through that. Uh, next week, we're going to continue our series on tough passages in the Old Testament, and we're going to look at Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
This is often a misunderstood promise that's produced guilt among Christian parents. So how should parents understand this Proverbs? Uh, read it, uh, think on it some, and then join us next week as we uh, continue with this series on the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. Thank you for listening to the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at christcenteredandclear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenterandClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all of Scripture. Mm-hmm.